است Similar 
similar to the rock walls that we have all over Las Cruces and El Paso. They would build a wall like that around their land, or at least in a portion of their land, and that was one of the places that they would keep animals to keep them safe. And they would build a house, and rooms would be added onto the house over time, and that was the household of God. That's the, that's the, the imagery that Jesus is working with. So when he says, our Father, he's talking about the person who would run the household, who would oversee the things that are working. And I talked a little bit last week about how Father is just an image for God. There are places in the Old Testament where God is imagined as a mother, and there are places where God is imagined as all sorts of things. But in this particular time, Jesus finds it the best analogy for God would be the Father, because he knows that those people who were sitting and listening, saying, teach us how to pray, would recognize that he's talking about the keeper of a household. So Jesus then begins to teach, and he's teaching. It's like Jesus can preach a really good prayer. Have you ever heard preachers that when they pray, they're like, you're like, are they preaching or are they praying? Jesus was preaching a really good prayer um, at this time. Where, wait, are you all with me this morning? Okay, okay. all right. And so... Our Father is the person who oversees it all, who makes sure the household of God is ran in a holy and sacred way. So then he goes, hallowed be your name. So God is holy and set apart and is different. And the way that we would think a household should be ran may or may not be the way that God would run the household. God wants to make sure that from the youngest and the smallest and the most vulnerable to the oldest and the most decrepit and most vulnerable, and at all points in between, people are treated with love and respect and fairness and have what they need. Our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name because of what you do. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We sometimes make a big mistake in modern day Christianity by thinking that everything we do in this room and everything we do with our Bibles and everything we do is about then and there when the reality is Jesus was saying in his prayer, we need to make what we do be about here and now and let God take care of there and then. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Holy Spirit empowers us to make that part of the prayer happen. Does that make sense? So then we start to think about what is this household of God? What is it like in heaven? How are people treated in heaven? And then we know more about how to do things here. So now we're caught up to where we ended last week. The first half of the prayer is big. It's like all about these big ideas like God and heaven and holiness and the household and all of that stuff that's kind of big. And it narrows down and it gets to the point where it's like, give us this day our daily bread. Now it's feet on the ground, action part of the prayer. The interesting thing about this idea of give us this day our daily bread is the word give to me. It's an imperative verb. It's a command. It's not Jesus being polite. It's more like the way Stuart read the song. It's not Jesus saying, hey, uh, if you have, I really like bread, and I heard, I mean, if you have some, uh, we're hungry, can we get something to eat, please? Jesus is saying, 
give us our bread.
right? There is no historical evidence that the year of Jubilee actually took place. But it's a good idea, maybe. <coughs> because if you think about it from a practical sense, if, I, if you come to me asking me for a loan, I'm not going to loan you more money than you can pay back in seven years. Because I'm going to want to get my repayment, which keeps your debt load down, because you're not going to get big loans. But the thing that Jesus was talking about and forgive us our debts, it's not about the actual thing that we owe people. It's the distance between us that is caused by it. So Stuart would give you this tip. If you're going to go to lunch with Ross, make sure he has his wallet. <laughs> because I have a tendency to say yes and then forget my wallet. Or maybe I have it and you just don't know. But either way, <laughs> what has happened is there have been, I think, one occasion in the two years that I've known Stuart that I've forgotten my wallet at lunch. Two dozen times. Two dozen times. <laughs> and so then I owe Stuart lunch and we just kind of pay as we go with one another. But what if he were keeping account for real? And he was saying, well, I bought, I bought this, and I bought this, and I bought this. Now Ross owes me three. And then I forgot my wallet again. Now Ross owes me four. And then I forgot it again. Now it's five. And before long, like, the distance between us that is caused by the debt is the part that causes <laughs> that distance. That distance is what needs to be forgiven. It's not the actual debt. It's what the debt causes. It's the same idea with trespass. Because when I sin against you, or you sin against me, I, I don't know about you, but when somebody sins against me, it feels like they stepped into my space and walked all over me without my permission. It's a trespassing onto my soul and onto my person. And what happens for us is then, that person who trespassed against us, we now think they are indebted to us. Because I've preached enough sermons about forgiveness that I've had enough conversations with people that I've heard this sentence three dozen times probably. How do I forgive someone if they're not willing to come and apologize? If we are accept expecting an apology from someone, we are expecting them to pay the debt they owe us. And forgiveness, a debt, causes distance. And in the household of God, we want to be close to each other relationally. We want to trust. We want to love. Forgiving that debt is not dependent upon them coming to us and saying, I'm sorry. If we're waiting for that, it may never happen. But what ends up happening, if we're waiting for it and it doesn't, is that now we carry that burden with us forever. And we don't have to. We can and should forgive the debts against us, the trespasses against us, whether the other person is willing to apologize or pay up. Because then we can walk in freedom and in the household of God. Where God's name is holy, people are able to walk through. 
does not enter temptation. Imagine, this is, and this, this scenario I'm about to paint for you is so far-fetched that you probably won't be able to really grasp it, but try anyway. Imagine that you wake up one morning and you turn on the TV and it's on your least favorite news network. I don't know what yours is, I know what mine is, and it's on your least favorite news network, and the talking head that's on there is spouting some sort of political ideology that just makes your skin crawl. It's hard to imagine, I know, but bear with me and try, try to say that. And, and so you're watching it, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't take this. And so you decide to escape, and you uh, decide you're gonna get on social media to escape all that stuff, and you start scrolling through Twitter, and then you see what people are tweeting, and you're like, this is ridiculous. I can't even take it anymore. And so you just go to the fun social media, Facebook, right? Like everybody's favorite one. And you're scrolling through, and the next thing, you see something that somebody posted, one of your friends posted, and you're like, you're at your wit's end. And then you do what we all swear we're never going to do. You start reading the comments. I know, it's hard to believe and far-fetched and so unrealistic, but just bear with me and pretend that this could happen to someone. And you start to read the comments, and before long, you feel it. It's like in you. You, you, you like feel the adrenaline a little bit, or maybe you're, you, like your head gets hot, your face gets flushed, like you get a little jittery, and you're typing it out. You're gonna win this one. <laughs> this time they're gonna feel your wrath, right? Lead us not into temptation. That is such a mild temptation. Imagine. You're one of the ancient Jews. And some soldier has come into your house and taken the food that you were going to give to your kids. And two weeks ago, he did that. And you walk out onto the street, you're holding the hand of your youngest child, and that soldier walks past you. What's happening in your soul? What is the temptation? The temptation was to keep the cycle of violence going because what you're feeling when you're on social media and you're, you feel that attack, it feels like violence. And our job is to rise above that. Our job is to lift ourselves up by the power of the Holy Spirit to come up above it and see other people as sacred creator creations not as some sort of ideology that we disagree with. Because our job is to do as little harm to other people as possible while giving them strength to provide. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give us this day our daily bread. It's about the present. Jesus is saying our prayers and our relationship with God is about the present. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. That's about the past. God is concerned about that in so much as you, God wants us to walk in freedom. The present and the past and lead us not into temptation is about the future. The Holy Spirit gives us power to 
make good choices and to write themes and say themes that build one another up. And as Kenton was singing, the entirety of Scripture is about God taking care of the least. Could you imagine a fat preacher in a world where people are starving? Don't answer. You don't have to answer that right now. Could you imagine a nation that has more than it needs and a people who are greedy for even more? Could you imagine those people saying, give us this day our daily bread and God saying, like, I did 30-fold. Lead us not into temptation. share